0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here, a grand slam home run, and this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell, glad to have you along tonight. On the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for the sixth year, we talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And I actually thought we were going to get to talk about the Cleveland Indians being in first place, but unfortunately, their outfield woes continue, and they are no longer in first place in the American League Central Division. Meanwhile, the Chicago White Sox continue to plummet. The Kansas City Royals are turning out to be the world champion that we all thought they would be, and the Indians continue to go right down into the dumper, along with the Cincinnati Reds, who last week were 1-5. and five. And in order to talk about the Reds, let's go down and talk to our resident Reds expert down south, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. How are you tonight?
1: I'm good, Dave, and uh, I'm sorry about your Indians because the Reds are just playing great ball. Uh, <clears throat> they've lost uh, 12 out of 14, and that's the negative way to look at it, but they have won 2 out of 3. So I, I think you have to be positive, right?
0: Well, they did win tonight. They, they, did. they beat up on Colorado 11 to 8. Joey Votto had his 200th career home run.
1: Yeah. And before we get into some of the more, uh, esoteric areas we're going to be t- discussing tonight, I do want to talk about one player the Reds have that has been just a great surprise this year. And that's Adam Duval. I don't know if you've been following what he's doing. But he led the majors in home runs in the month of April. He hit, uh, I think he hit 11 in April. Uh, right now he's got 13 home runs and 29 RBIs. He's hitting 270. He's playing a very, very solid left field. And he has been a real surprise for this team this year.
0: Well, Mark, another surprise really for the Reds has been Dan Straley.
1: Yeah, he has. He didn't pitch as well today as he has in the past, but he did get the win today and uh he's got an ERA of 3.43 and uh you know, you, you really can't expect too much more out of a guy who was uh, considered a journeyman pitcher and to have a 3-2 winning record with the Reds with their record uh is pretty good.
0: Mark Joey Vado with his 200th career home run. He really struggled in the first six weeks of the season, but the last couple of weeks, towards the end of May, it appears he's starting to find his swing.
1: Dave, I've never seen a hitter that is more uh, perplexing and complex than Joey Votto. He, he, The way he's choking up on the bat is almost absurd. You can't get any power that way. You can't get any leverage. And Finally, today, he did hold the bat in a more major league way. And he doubled off the center field over the center field fence and then had a long field uh sometimes he goes into these mental gyrations uh with his swing, and his swing has been awful this year he he you know who he looks like at the plate now because he's he's crouching and he's choking up. he looks like Pete rose, and I don't know if Pete talked to him, but he, Joey has lost his his power swing. And that's unfortunate because Joey Votto, when he's right, can hit a ball a long way. But uh, he's only hitting .207, 208. Uh, he does have 29 RBIs, which isn't awful. But uh, he, he has not been the, Jay Brew, or the, uh, the Joey Votto that we know.
0: <clears throat> Mark, before we get into the Indians and their continued outfield woes over the weekend, I want to talk a little bit about Pete Rose being inducted into the Reds Hall of Fame. Isn't it rather hypocritical to – it is to me that Major League Baseball would allow the Reds to put him into the team's Hall of Fame but not allow him to go into the Baseball Hall of Fame?
1: Well, they can't control the the franchise. The franchise can do what they want. Uh, They got got permission nonetheless. I mean, baseball, uh, they could say, we don't want you to do it, and I would bet the Reds wouldn't do it. But they have the right to do it as a franchise. They can make their own rules. But not to have Pete. What is so hypocritical is that um, the Hall of Fame could induct Pete Rose. But baseball, and baseball can't stop it. But the Hall of Fame won't. So, you know, to have a Hall of Fame with Pete Rose not in it makes it a sham. And uh, it makes no sense to me. And it never has and it never will.
0: Absolutely. 16 and 34 is where the Reds stand going into tonight. So 17 and 34 is where they are after tonight's win. The Indians are now 26 and 23. They're about ready to give away the uh, over 500 mark that they gained when they beat the Reds last week, four in a row. They were four and three on the week. They're currently a full game behind Kansas City, uh, in the American League Central Division. Mark, this team lost tonight 9 to 2 and their continued outfield woes are really starting not only to bother me but also bother uh, the media around Cleveland, which is hard to believe because with the Browns and the Cavaliers in, in the championship series now, they barely have enough time to talk about the Indians, let alone even have an opportunity to talk about their outfield woes. Jose Ramirez is really hitting the heck out of the baseball mark. He really is. He, he's doing an outstanding job at the plate, batting over 300 and he's driving home runs, which is hard to believe being his, that he is so diminutive in his stature. But Mark, this guy can't play the outfield. He, he bungled a ball yesterday that led to three runs scoring for Baltimore and the final margin was two. And this is continually happening to the Indians that they just continue to play Rajay Davis in center, who's a joke, and Ramirez if he had played a couple of years in the outfield or maybe some minor league ball, yeah, maybe and get some, some actual tutelage on how to play the outfield. But when you try to, to play the outfield, Mark, and we've talked about this with Devin Mesorocco, when you try to learn the outfield at the major league level, especially with a team that is supposed to win the division, that's just a, a recipe for catastrophe.
1: Well, you better, you better act quick. Uh, because Jay Bruce, he's the answer to your problems, and he can get you into the playoffs, but apparently is after him. And if if you guys don't get him, the Rangers are going to, so make me your best offer.
0: Well, I, I know one thing. You've always said that you would take Trevor Bauer for him, and I would be glad to give up Trevor Bauer right now the way he's throwing the baseball.
1: Well, I think the Reds at this point have all the pitching they need. At one time, Trevor Bauer would have been a good return. But the Reds need position players. And I I hope, as we talk about the Indians' needs for an outfielder, you know, Jay Bruce, honestly, he he would – Jay Bruce is going to hit 30, 35 home runs again this year. He's probably going to drive in 90, 92, 93 runs. Probably hits you 250. But he'll play very, very good defense. He's an outstanding defensive player. And he would – He would be an all-star left fielder.
0: Well, he's not going to play left field in Cleveland. Michael Brantley has got that spot sewn up when he comes back. Where he would play in Cleveland is center field.
1: You think you think he'd be a better center fielder than Brantley?
0: He would be oh, in center field better center fielder than Brantley? Yeah. The way Brantley's shoulder is bothering him this year, yes. On any other year, probably not. But this year, they're they're not going to take an opportunity to move Brantley to center just coming off of that shoulder injury. They'll keep him in left.
1: Well, I'm serious about that. I mean, the Indians are my second favorite team, and they need a bat. They've needed a bat for a while. But but Texas, because they've lost Josh Hamilton, they need a bat too, and they're in the playoffs, playoff hunt. Uh, He's from Texas, Jay Bruce is. It makes a lot of sense to send him back down there, and it was proposed in the paper yesterday that Jay Bruce will be going to Texas for uh, for prospects. I don't know who the prospects are, but, uh, you know, I think he has driven up his value so far this year. I think Jay Bruce has hit 10, 11 home runs, and uh, he's having a good year. He's got 29 RBIs, and he's getting on base a lot, and uh, I, I think he he would really solve some problems for the Indians.
0: Well, if the Reds are going to want what they wanted in the Todd Frazier deal, there's no way they'll put together anything with the Indians because they they were asking for uh, all of the Indians' top prospects, including uh, Clint Frazier, who is one that the Indians are just not going to give up no matter what. Now, the only other alternative the Indians have is to bring Tyler Naquin back up to the major league level, but that would mean that they are going to have to cut – either Marlon Byrd or uh, Rajay Davis. Now, in my mind, you know, Mark, I don't understand this fascination that Francona and the Indians front office have with Rajay Davis. He's struggling to hit 240. He can't play the outfield in center field where they want him to play. And you've got a kid down in the minor leagues that is an excellent center fielder without the gripes that the Indians have that he's got a poor first step towards the baseball, but if he gets his glove on the ball, at least he catches it. And he's batting over three thirty. But he's mired in Columbus because they've got these doubts about him. Now, Mark, if you've got a situation where you you've got a guy who's thirty seven years old, has never really been a full time player at the major league level in Rajay Davis, and I've just illustrated all of his faults and a kid down in the minor leagues who's 25 years old that is ready and hungry to play, why is there any doubt as to what you do?
1: Well, I don't know his contract status. If he's still considered a rookie, you're going to start the clock running on the guy. I don't know that those kinds of things. But from a talent perspective, uh, they, they must believe that he is better serving their organization in AAA. I don't know the answer to it. But uh, I don't think if the Indians, I mean, you you along with many others have predicted the Indians are going to be a contender in the Central. And I don't think you can have a contending team with Kansas City and the White Sox in that division and not have an experienced outfielder who can hit you 25, 30, 35 home runs in that lineup. And the Indians have needed that kind of power bat for a long time. And whether it's Jay Bruce or it's somebody else, uh, for some reason, and they've been hesitant to go out and get that bat.
0: Well, I would be extremely happy with Jay Bruce in the outfield. Do you feel comfortable with him playing a center field?
1: He, he's played center field for the Reds. He's not as fast as he used to be, clearly. But, uh, again, he, he's, he's he's an outstanding corner outfielder. And I don't know who you would put in center. But um, the Indians have a chance, and that's what – you and I have harped about for years on this show is that the frustrating part is when a team does have a chance and they don't go for it. And I can see where a team, uh, doesn't want to go out and sign a big free agent, but you know, to make a trade for an experienced bat and to do it early. Why these teams wait until the deadline? I, I never understood that strategy. If you need an outfielder, why do you wait till July 31st? That's that's a long way off. That's two full months away, and it's probably going to be fifty fifty-five games. Back Mark, I would
0: Right, and and I would have no problems bringing in Jay Bruce right now. I, I really wouldn't. But what's his contract status? What is it? I know he's through next year, but what's he making a year? Twelve million. See, that would fit right into what the Indians. Would like It's a little on the top end, but that is right where they would be comfortable bringing in someone. Now, where he would fit in the lineup, I think he could fit in right behind Napoli and just before Santana. You would be able to... to see, the thing that I don't understand, Mark, is they've got Jose Ramirez batting fifth and Carlos Santana batting first. You know, Carlos Santana's not a leadoff man. And, and if they're going to continue to play Ramirez, you know, my whole thing is is terrible at third. Uh, the guy is pretty much like Pablo Sandoval. He's almost eaten himself out of the league. Can he hit the ball? Yes. He's a good right-handed hitter. But the problem is, is that he can't field anything that is more than two steps to his left or his right. Now, my whole feeling is, is that they could put Jose Ramirez at third, or put him back to his natural position, which would be second, and move Jason Kipnis to third. Because the Indians have problems with double plays. The most misleading stat right now in baseball is that the Indians are fifth in the American League in fielding. That's misleading, because they're not very good. They can't get to certain balls. But they're last mark in double plays. Now, listening to Beavis and Butthead on the Indians broadcast this week, Matt Underwood and Rick Manning, they tried to downplay the fact that the Indians are last in double plays, saying that, you know what, that's a misleading stat, because the pitching staff hasn't put that many people on board. Do you feel that way? Do you think double plays... Is a misleading stat.
1: Yeah. In, in some cases, I do. If you have a fly ball pitching staff where, you know, they, they don't get a lot of ground balls. But I think with the Indians, they, they're, they're so good, they just don't give up a lot of base runners. So you, you have to look at the pitching staff, what they do. Are they a ground ball pitching staff? I remember when the Braves were at their heyday with Gladdix and, Mat- and Maddox, Glavin and Maddox, those guys threw ground balls all the time. So they got a lot of double plays, and they, they had a good infield. But that can be a bit misleading. I mean, the Reds are turning a lot of double plays because everybody's on base. They're walking everybody, and their pitching staff sucks. So they do get some double plays because they have so many base runners. But that can be misleading, and I think most double play combinations in the big leagues, uh, they're all good. I mean, they can turn a double play. Uh, you don't get to the big leagues if you can't turn a double play. So there's not a lot of difference in talent. You know, There might be a little gradation there, but not a lot. So I think a lot of it does have to do with the pitching staff.
0: Mark, let's switch back to the Reds here just briefly. The Reds are going to activate... Pitcher John Moscott tomorrow from the 15-day disabled list to start against the Rockies. And for that four-game series after tonight, they're going to go with Moscott tomorrow, then John Lamb on Wednesday, and Alfredo Simon on Thursday. Talk about Moscott. It seems to me like the Reds media has really been touting this kid for quite a while. What's he going to bring to the table?
1: I've never, I've never seen what others have seen in this guy. Uh, he's got, he doesn't have outstanding stuff. He's got pretty decent control. Uh, he, he, he wasn't overpowered in the minors. Now that, that said, uh, he's, he, to me, he's a guy who's going to have a 3-7 to, to 4-2 ERA. He'll keep you in games. He's not a high strikeout pitcher. Um, he's got pretty good control, but I've never seen the kind of stuff that you would look at a Robert Stevenson and say, Wow, that guy can be a top of the rotation guy. I don't think that's Moscot. Could he be a four or five guy? Yeah, he could. Uh I don't I don't think his stuff is electric enough to be a late inning reliever. He could be a seventh inning guy, maybe an eighth inning guy, I don't know. But you might you can tell from my explanation, I I don't think that he's he's the salvation for the Reds.
0: How about Homer Bailey? When are they expecting him to come back?
1: Well, now they're saying it's going to be, you know, early June uh, before he's back. And I, I think, again, I said it last week. I said it the week before. They want him to pitch in June, prove he is healthy, and they'll trade him because his contract, all of a sudden, uh, when Strasburg got 175 million dollars a couple of weeks ago, that made Bailey's 100 million dollar contract look cheap by comparison. So there is going to be interest in Homer Bailey if he is healthy. And he'll be healthy eventually, now, whether it's the end of this year. But I, I would bet, given the depth the Reds have in starting pitching in the minor leagues, you're not going to see Homer Bailey on this team next year. I, I would be stunned if he's around.
0: And another one that I want to bring up is a kid that I actually like, Michael Lorenzen. What's his situation?
1: Uh, he's getting healthy again, but the, the, everyone is saying that he is going to be right to the bullpen. He's not going to be in the rotation. Uh, they want him to come back slowly. And he's, Dave, that, that kid's got closer stuff. He, he can throw the ball 98, 99, 99 miles an hour, and he's got an attitude. I, I think he could be a good closer, and Singrani is just not the answer. He, he got lit up again today. Uh, he's got a 4.47 ERA. He he doesn't get anybody out. He walks people. I I think the Singrani experiment is over. I I don't see this guy. I don't know if he's not too bright and because the pitches he throws in there, he, he hung a breaking ball today to Gonzalez that, you know, in the ninth inning, it was just a get over pitch and he has nothing on it. He walked a guy before that, he walked two people, he gave up three hits, and he looked awful. And the Reds have him as their closer. So I think Lorenzen could be the answer to that. Uh, And by the way, speaking of closers, have you seen what Chapman has been doing?
0: (laughs) Not too bad, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think he's, what, eight for eight now in save opportunities? And yeah. Throwing the ball over 100 miles an hour and, uh, in the history of the Reds, I think there's only been one worse trade and that was Frank Robinson. Uh, but what they got for uh, Chapman, the Reds got for Chapman is just absurd. You, you, can, you could have picked names out of a hat and gotten more than the Reds got for the best pitcher in baseball.
0: I'm going to lob you a softball right now. Who did the, who did the Reds get for Frank Robinson? Oh, come on. <laughs> that's,
1: a, that's an insulting question.
0: Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Most of our, Some of our listeners don't know.
1: Well, I'll tell you, the, the, the i bet you don't know the other two guys they got. The,
0: no. Other than Milt Pappas, I don't know who the they other They got
1: two. Milt Pappas, and they got a guy named Simpson who played the outfield, and they had the audacity to give Simpson Frank Robinson's number 20. Killed me. And the guy had a couple home runs that year, and then they sent him down to the minors. And they got a third player who I've forgotten now. Uh but um that was I was in college when that trade was made and I was depressed the entire year because of that trade. <laughs>
0: And Mark, well, just a second. I want to, I want to mention a couple things and then I'm going to ask you a quick question here because it'll segue into this, the second subject that I want to bring up. For the Indians, Carlos Carrasco is going on a rehab assignment he did on Saturday pitched for the Akron Rubber Ducks. He made it through his scheduled four innings, Mark, and his 53 pitches just fine. That coming off of that severely pulled hamstring that he had, Now, he says his hamstring felt 100% last week during a simulated game, and he felt no discomfort after Saturday night or immediately after it. The Indians are expecting him to throw two more games down in either Akron or Lake Erie before they bring him back to the Major League level, and when he comes back, that will be a big addition to this Major League club. And Michael Brantley, who's also on the DL, said Saturday there is no timetable for his return from the shoulder injury that has sidelined him twice this year. He has been on a couple of rehab assignments. He has complained about soreness afterwards. Of course, he's undergoing or he's trying to undergo rehab for the surgery that he had on a torn right labrum in November. And Mark, that's the same surgery that Devin Meszarosco has undergone and from what I understand that is a very tough injury to overcome quickly after surgery.
1: Yeah, and for a catcher, as we've talked about, even though it's his it's his left arm, it's not his right arm. Uh, that's your that's your pull arm for a hitter. You got to come through with your left arm if you're a right hand hitter. And uh, you know Devin Messerazzo, Devin Mesiraca's career could be over. And that's it not never how it Injury, yeah. Before. It, He's had one decent year, but people forget this is his fourth year in baseball, and the most he's ever played, I think, is 112 games, 115 games. He, he's been injured and had some, some severe injuries every year he has played. So I don't know what the answer is, other than maybe him being a DH in the American League. Uh, he can swing the bat, uh, but I, I don't see him as the Reds catcher going
0: Mark, a couple things I want to bring up here. First of all, where did you go to college?
1: Wright State.
0: Well, your alma mater is in the NCAA College Baseball World Series. There, well, not the World Series, but the tournament. They have been picked to play Ohio State this coming weekend in Louisville. Now, Wright State is 44 and 15. Ohio State won their first Big Ten tournament since 2009 this past weekend. And they're going to play in a semifinal game at 2 p.m. Friday at Louisville. Do you know anything about the Wright State baseball program?
1: Well, I, yeah, I know of their program generally. Ron Nichwitz was the, uh, the, basically the guy who started that program years ago. A left-hand pitcher. Actually, I think he pitched for the Indians at one time. Uh, and he really got that program up and running. But the Reds, or the Raiders have put some guys in the big leagues. Uh, Smith, the reliever, was there. Two or three other guys have made it to the big leagues. And from what I understand, they are good. They're not just good for Wright State, they're good. And, uh, they're gonna give Ohio State all they, all they want, believe me. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a good program, and they got some depth, and they got some good coaching. So, it'll be exciting to see for Wright State fans.
0: Well, another team down there near you is Xavier, and they are going into the NCAA tournament also. They're going to play Friday also, and they are going to be taking on Vanderbilt, who is and 43-17 on the year. I know I haven't asked you about this, but um, do you know anything about Xavier?
1: I don't. I don't follow Xavier baseball. I do follow their basketball team, but um, I think Wright State, getting back to them for a second, I think they're going to surprise a lot of people.
0: I don't know who to, who to root for in that, Mark. I mean, I, I know you've got an allegiance to Wright State, but Ohio State's not a bad baseball team.
1: Oh, well, they never are. I mean, the Big Ten typically has good baseball, uh, although it's surprising you don't hear them in the World Series a lot, and it's mainly because of their schedule. The teams that you hear out there going to the College World Series are the teams that play. At, you know, when you're in college baseball, you're basically in the minor leagues. Some of these teams play 60, 70 games a year, uh, you know, starting in, in January all the way through June. It, it's like being a minor leaguer and they have become the minor leagues for many major league teams. And, and the drafts this year will be very interesting. What happens this year for the Reds as an example? If you're the Cincinnati Reds, do you draft a college player who's ready for the big leagues in, in two years, like Mike Leake was several years ago? went almost directly to the big leagues, or do you dra- draft a, a higher-ceilinged high school player who's going to have to take three or four years to develop? What, what would you do if you were the Reds?
0: Well, I think uh, that's a no-brainer. I want I want guys that are ready for the major leagues as quickly as possible.
1: <clears throat> I, I do, too. And I think it also, the, the, the college, it helps them pressure-wise, but also physically. If, if a kid hasn't developed a sore arm or some kind of problem physically by the time he's 21, 22 years old in college, he's probably a high, he's a candidate not likely to have a major injury. It's when you bring up these high school kids, they're not used to the stress and their bodies break down. And that happens, that happens very frequently. So I agree with you. I hope the Reds in their situation, uh, they go out there and, and I hope they get this AJ Puck, P-U-K, uh, left-hander, still on 98, 99 miles an hour, 6 foot 7, 235 pounds. And I'm afraid the Phillies may get him first. But uh, the draft for the Reds this year is a seminal draft. I mean, if they mess this up, uh, they have three, I think, of the top 35 players to be drafted. That's That's amazing. And they also have a high international draft pick. So they have between now and next year, they're going to have five or six very, very high draft picks. And if they do it right, and I hope they go for position players and maybe one pitcher, uh, then the Reds will be okay in two or three years. If they do it wrong, this team could be the Pittsburgh Pirates of the 1990s to the mid-2000s.
0: Mark, as you know, we've been doing high school baseball and girls softball on UltimateSportsTalk.com now for the past month or so. And I am lucky enough to be following a team in the Wayndale Golden Bears that has qualified for the state baseball tournament. And since this is the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, I want to take a minute and just go down the brackets that are happening this weekend in Columbus at Huntington Park, which is where the Columbus Clippers play. And this is going to be the setup for the OHSAA State Final Four this weekend. It's all going to start on Thursday, June 2nd, at 10 a.m. In Division Two, the first two games, the semifinals, will have Steubenville playing Number 1 Defiance, and then Poland Seminary will play Hamilton-Baden. In Division One. That same afternoon on Thursday at four, Cincinnati LaSalle will be playing number eight Solon, and Cleveland St. Ignatius will play Pickerington North, and that takes on at seven o'clock. Now in Division Three, Versailles will be playing number one Berlin Highland, and that will be Friday at ten a.m. And then we will have this game on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Belleville Clearfork will be playing Waynedale. That will be at 1 o'clock. We'll be on the air with the pregame show at 1240 on that one Friday afternoon from Clipper Park, Huntington Park in Columbus. And then in Division 4 at 4 o'clock, Fort Recovery will be playing Newark Catholic and North Louisville Triad will be playing Cuyahoga Heights and that will be at 7. Now the Division 2 championship game will be Saturday at 10. The Division 1 championship game is Saturday at 1. The Division 3 State Championship game will be Saturday at 4 and the Division 4 State Championship game will be Saturday at 7. Mark, I know I've I've gotten to know a lot of these kids from following them in football, basketball and now baseball and this is a very talented group. It should be an interesting tournament, but I feel excited about doing these games, and I know when you get to a state tournament, no matter what sport, whatever activity it is, it's always a thrill to be down there in Columbus or wherever the tournament is held and get a chance to show off your wares and win a state title. Hello, Mark. I think, think we lost Mark. And we did. In high
1: school. <laughs> Something you there never forget.
0: Mark, Mark, you're, you're cutting in and out. Okay. Go ahead. I've got you back now.
1: Well, I was saying it's, it's one of those things you never forget as a kid. If you played in, I, I ran track in high school and went to the state tournament and, and basketball and all that stuff. And uh, it, it, you never forget those things. So wish those all those kids good luck and hope they just stay healthy.
0: Where did you go to high school at?
1: Fairmont West. In you
0: guys went to state tournament, huh?
1: Yeah, we had uh, one of the top my relay teams back in the day, and finished second in the state that year. And uh, I ran the quarter in the in the mile relay. A lot of fun.
0: Boy, I bet. Yeah, I mean, Waynedale has has had some outstanding athletes. They've got a girl down there in the pole vault, uh, Sammy Ice, and of course. There's been a lot. They've had some outstanding wrestlers go to state throughout the years. So this is going to be exciting. I'm going to actually have some fun with this, Mark. I actually get to go up and and sit where other major league broadcasters have sat in the press box and do a game from Huntington Park. I think I'm going to have a blast with that. So
1: congratulations. That's fun for you, I know. And uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's always cool when you have the kids there and the excitement kind of. You feed off of it, and uh, I wish you guys good luck there.
0: Mark, another thing is is that, speaking of announcing, Reds television play-by-play voice Tom Brenneman is going to be missing the next few weeks to undergo what he called a preventative surgical procedure. Jim Kelch, Jim Day, and George Grant is actually coming back, and he's going to fill in for Brennaman. A return date was not immediately known. You know, I want to I want to wish Brennaman. Uh, good wishes here because um, you know no matter what what you and I think about him as a play by play announcer, y- you certainly hope that this is nothing serious.
1: Uh, of course, and uh, you know you're right. I mean this is this is far more important than baseball announcing. I presume it has something to do with his throat. Uh, the way they were talking about it, I don't know what it is, but when they said preventative, it, it, maybe they found something that just for safety's sake you want to get rid of. Uh, I hope uh, it, it's only that, and uh, wish him all the luck in the world.
0: You know, it'll be fun to hear George, George Grant do some games again.
1: Yeah, George Grant—he's, uh, you know, Mister Cliche. He's <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: true. <laughs> you know, but still, he's—he's he's better than anything the Indians have to offer. That—that that, that's for certain. Mark, in, in the final minutes of tonight's show, I want to talk about this Noah Syndergaard. Incident, the injection on Saturday. I presume you saw it. I did. Okay. Now, you know, was this justified? His ejection, or was it a mistake? I, I'm hearing both sides of the of the situation. And w- what's your th- what's your thought process about it?
1: Well, he, <laughs> number one, he didn't hit him. <laughs>
0: you know, and that's true. He didn't hit him, and
1: it clearly was a purpose pitch. If a major league pitcher wants to hit you, you're going to get hit. And to me, what he was doing, it was almost a, you know, yeah, I'm letting you know that I, I could hit you. I'm not going to hit you, but stay loose, pal. So he didn't hit him. And all that to me means if you're going to get thrown out for not hitting somebody, then the next time Syndergaard is going to throw at somebody, he's going to drill them. So... I think you can get the message across that he wanted to get across by not hitting the hitter. He threw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball or whatever it was by his, his jug. Uh You know, it, that gets the message across. So I thought the, the umpires overreacted as they normally do. And uh I don't know why they threw him out of the game, but they did.
0: Well, and the other thing that I wanted to bring up was You know, there's there's a lot of hullabaloo about this. First of all, I thought Chase Utley handled it as best anybody could. He just came back and hit a home run, and then the next at bat hit another home run. So, I mean, he, he handled it as best that he could. I agree with you that I thought the umpire overreacted. I think they always do. I think that's something that the umpires really should keep their noses out of and let both teams just take care of it themselves and normally when that happens if one guy gets plunked another guy's going to get plunked and that's it that's normally how it ends up right Mark
1: it is and I think when you look at what Utley did I've seen harder slides in the people you know I've seen rolling slides that you take out
0: And, again, we've, That's we've lost. Okay, go ahead.
1: That's baseball, as we've talked about in the past. So uh, I, I think there was an overreaction on the fans' part and baseball's part because Chase Utley is not the kind of guy who goes out there and tries to hurt another player.
0: Well, I, I know you've, you know, it, this is all over the the national radio. This is all over the national media as to whether or not this thing was an intelligent way if it was overreacted. Mark, what was the difference between that situation and what happened to the Reds and Alfredo Simon on Saturday, which you don't hear anything about?
1: Alfredo Simon is a blithering idiot. <laughs> that That's the difference. Did you see the play that, that started it all?
0: No, I did not.
1: Well, there was a steal at home, and the Reds, uh, t- uh, uh, Holt, the, the left fielder, had home base stolen, he had had the home plate stolen from third, and the pitcher and, and um, Simon was at the plate. Well, if you're a pitcher, when someone turns around to butt number one and the runner is coming down to steal, the thing you do, you throw right at the hitter, because if you hit the hitter, it's a dead ball and the runner goes back to third. Now you put a runner on first base, but it's also likely that the pitcher, that that Case Simon, was going to try. He, he tried to bump the ball, missed, and got hit. The, the pitcher did. I think it was Anderson. He did exactly what he's trained to do. He didn't throw at his head. He hit him in the leg. So Simon went ballistic, threw his bat down. And I thought he was going to charge the mound. So then when Anderson comes up. After Simon's pitched a pretty good game, he's only given up three hits, two runs, uh, he, he drills him, drills him, tries to hit him in the head. And he gets thrown out of the game, the best game he's pitched all year, the Reds are going to lose the game, and now he's going to be suspended. So it was just a stupid thing to do, and, you know, Simon is not only a bad pitcher, he's not very bright, and that proved it.
0: Well, but my point is, is that, I think this whole Syndergaard situation was perpetrated and was overblown by the media because he's out of New York. I mean, you could look at that situation that Alfredo Simon was in and say that that was ten times worse.
1: Well, yeah. Number one, he hit Anderson, and he hit him high. He tried to hit him in the head. And the reason he hit him was stupid, because Anderson didn't do anything wrong. He he, he made a baseball play, and, and Simon... Didn't square around right and he missed the pitch and got hit. So he was mad because he, he, he got hit plus it was a strike. <laughs> so he got mad and came out and two innings later gets thrown out of the game and the team scores a bunch of runs and the Reds lose.
0: Well, a couple of the things that we want to bring up on tonight's show. First of all, friends of the show, the Joe Nuxall Mir- uh, Miracle League Fields are having a dedication ceremony on Saturday, June 11th. That's a week from this coming Saturday. For Bernie and Joe's best seat in the house, that's going to be at 10 a.m. on Saturday, June 11th at the Joe Nuxall Miracle Fields on Grow Lane in Fairfield, Ohio. Uh, George Grant, who we've already talked about here tonight, he's going to be the master of ceremonies, and many members of the Bernie Stowe family will also be present at the dedication we are going to have somebody from the Joe Nuxall Miracle Fields on our show next week to talk about this. So glad to have them on board. And of course, they are friends of the show. Mark, they, they always listen. And I, I know that uh, they are very, very, they do some very good work there.
1: Yeah, they've been doing that for years. And of course, Joe Nuxall, everybody's favorite announcer uh, from years gone by with the Reds, started that years ago. And uh, he's been involved with youth baseball throughout his life and career, so that that's a program we certainly want to get behind and support.
0: Absolutely, Mark. On this day in baseball in 1935, what happened? I have
1: no idea, Dave. (laughs) I I was I was was in college then, and no, I wasn't. No. 1935. Well, give me a hint. Give me a hint.
0: 1935. It has to do with Babe Ruth.
1: Oh, it was his last game.
0: Yes, had, you got
1: it. He hit three home runs uh, for, against the Pirates, I think, in Forbes Field, playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And here's another bit of trivia about that.
0: He, well, first of all, you're wrong, but that's wait a you continue. He,
1: he, was, he was with the Dodgers, right? No. Who was he with?
0: He, he played for the Boston Braves. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: It was Boston. Yes, yes, it was Boston.
0: But he only played in the first inning of the game. He played in the first inning of the opener of a doubleheader between the Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies at Baker Bowl and that was it. They took him out of the game that was his final final major league appearance. Okay.
1: I think it was the game before that or the series before that. He played for Boston against Pittsburgh. It was it was very close to his last game and he hit three home runs in the game and he he hit the longest home run in the history of Forbes Field. You can, you can look it up.
0: Doesn't surprise
1: me. He hit it over the right field bleachers, uh, which had never been done before. I don't think it had been done since. But it, it was. I, I thought it was his last. His last home. Maybe it was his last home run uh, playing for Boston okay. and. For those who are Babe Ruth fans, a very sad story. Babe Ruth wanted to be a manager, and they never called.
0: Mark, last subject here tonight, Jenny Finch. She was a national champion and Olympic gold medalist softball player during her illustrious career, and she can now add undefeated managerial records to her resume. She became the first woman to manage a professional baseball team on Sunday, guiding the Atlantic league's Bridgeport Bluefish past Southern Maryland Blue Crabs three to one. She was serving as the guest manager for the Bluefish, joining Pete Rose and Paul O'Neill as the franchise's only other guest skippers. Now we've got a female In the booth with ESPN doing Sunday Night Baseball. How close are we, Mark, in your opinion, to having a female player or manager in Major League Baseball?
1: I think we'd be closer to having a female manager than player, unless it's a pitcher. And unless she has something like a knuckleball, uh, because they're simply not going to have the the, the arm strength uh, to throw a baseball 95 to 100 miles an hour which is what you need now. But there are some very, very good female pitchers out there. And I think they could come into the big leagues and throw, you know, throw knuckleballs because that's very hard to hit and it doesn't require arm strength and you can pitch all day with a knuckleball. So that, that may be the way it happens, but there are clearly, clearly women out there who know baseball as well as men. And I think they could do a fine job as managers
0: what would you say, 10, 20 years, longer?
1: Oh, I, I don't want to put a time limit on I think it's, it's when the right person meets the right opportunity, and I, I think it's going to probably start in college. Uh, you're going to have women manage college be- men's baseball teams, and that will be the first, I, I think, the first step. Uh, because they, again, the, the strategy of baseball is, is nothing beyond the, the, the realm of anybody who has half a brain. So that's not an issue. I mean, women are, they're very well versed in, in baseball. Uh, it's just opportunity. And if they, if they start in college, uh, and, and work their way up, get to, the, get to the minor leagues, there's absolutely no reason why a woman couldn't manage a major league
0: baseball team. Mark, the Reds have got Colorado tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday to round out that four-game set with the Rockies. And then they come home, they're going to face an old friend, Dusty Baker and the Washington Nationals, Friday, Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. What kind of a reception do you think Dusty will get from the Cincinnati crowd?
1: He'll get a standing ovation.
0: Do you really think so? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think that would be that would be just outstanding of the Reds crowd, Reds fans, to do that. I I really do. I think that would be that would be the thing to do. Uh, he's got an excellent team there in Washington. It appears. He yeah, I think he will get a base.
1: Yep, and the Reds face Strasburg on Friday night, and you heard it here first. I think he'll pitch a no hitter.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to rack it as Jim Rome says. And as far as the Indians are concerned, they've got two more games with the Rangers this week, tomorrow night and Wednesday, and then they welcome in Kansas City for a four-game set, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, David. That's going to do it for our show. Don't forget, coming up this Friday... We've got high school baseball state semifinal action for you. The Dale Golden Bears playing Clear Fork. That will be at 1 o'clock. We'll be on the air with the pregame show at 1240. And then Mark and I will be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing this afternoon's show, this evening's show. But most of all, our thanks go out to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight until next Friday, next Monday night at 9 o'clock. Have a good week everybody.
1: The Whiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it.
0: And Yogi read the comments all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski Campanella talking baseball. Man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke.